Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Well, good morning, Calvary. Good to see you today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 is where we'll be in just a moment. While you're turning there, just to, to touch base on some of the things that we've seen in the news this last week, it has been unbelievable to see the devastation of Hurricane Harvey. Wouldn't you agree? And I just, just from, a, from a perspective so many miles away, just hard to imagine the images that we've seen. In times like this as a church, our partner in disaster relief is an agency known as Convoy of Hope. You've probably heard us talk about them before. Convoy of Hope uh, was on the ground before the storm struck, already there, ready to and, and staged to give relief items and to be there in the midst of this time. If you're looking for a place to give, that's where we would encourage you to be involved in that way. If you want to give towards relief efforts, and, and we've had this kind of on our, on our webpage as well as on Facebook, social media, you can do that through Convoy of Hope. If you want to do that, you can go out to ToledoCalvary.org, go out to our webpage. The first thing that you'll see there is a statement about Convoy of Hope. You'll find that there. You can go directly to their page and give, or you can give through our giving link as a part of your gifts to Calvary, and we'll get that to Convoy of Hope. If you want to give today, you grab an offering envelope out of one of the shelves as you leave the auditoriums, and just on the other area there, just mark Texas, and we'll make sure that it gets there. We're also looking into the possibility of a team from Calvary being able to go and maybe take part in some of the relief efforts. So we're exploring that. Not sure if God may lead in that way, but if you're interested in that, please begin to pray about that. And as you know, both our president as well as, as the fellowship that we're a part of, the Assemblies of God, has encouraged us to take time and pray today for those that have been affected by this disaster. I think it would be a good thing for us to do, don't you? So let's bow our heads, let's pray together. Father, we, we come to you today, Lord, and, and we can't even begin to imagine from the miles and miles away that we are what it's like to be in the midst of the devastation and the loss. And so, Lord, we pray that you would, by your spirit, by your power, by your might, your grace, and your strength, Lord, that you would just make yourself so real. God, we, we pray for those who have suffered loss, those that have lost loved ones, those that have lost their homes and businesses. Father, would you come to them with a comfort that can only be brought by your Holy Spirit? And Lord, we ask that you'd let them know that you're close to them, Lord, that you would bring divine appointments and, Lord, ways that, Lord, in particular for those that may not know you, that out of this tragedy, instead of a hardness that would come to their heart, Lord, would you bring an openness that would help them to see their need for you? Lord, we pray for all those involved in relief efforts. God, we pray for Convoy of Hope. We pray for other agencies that are on the ground and making a difference. Lord, would you give them provision? Would you give them protection? Lord, would you guide them in the best ways to make a difference? Lord, we pray for all those that are in, in local and state, federal authorities. God, would you give them wisdom in this time? And Lord, somehow in the midst of what looks like devastation, Lord, we depend on you to bring beauty from what is out of this wreckage that we seem to see. So now, Lord, we give this service to you. God, we thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, we ask that in these next few moments, would you encourage us? Would you challenge us? Would you help us to see what your spirit is speaking to us today? In Jesus' name, amen. I remember, for whatever reason, very clearly being in elementary school and the teacher saying, today we're going to learn how to write a letter. Do you remember when we used to write things on paper? Anybody remember that? 
right? We were going to write a letter. And, and they walk through the different kind of framework that you would use, whether it was a business letter, whether it was a personal letter. And so you'd start, you'd, somewhere up at the top, you'd have, you might have the name and address of the person if you're writing very formally, and you'd have the date that was there. You'd have a greeting, dear so-and-so, or to whom it may concern, whatever kind of letter you're writing. And then you'd get to the body of your letter, and you'd have the things that you'd want and learn how to write the different paragraphs. And then at the end of the letter, you'd write your signature. And that was to show that this is, this is from me. I'm signing this letter. But just before the signature, there was what they would refer to as the closing. You would have some kind of little remark that was there, kind of a complimentary closing that you would put there. And there were certain things that the teacher encouraged you to use. So at the end, just before you would sign your name, you would write maybe regards or yours truly or sincerely. And so because the teacher said that's what you're supposed to do, that's what you did. I didn't know what regards meant. I still don't know what yours truly means. And sincerely, like I wrote it, and I suppose I was sincere, maybe because in the fourth grade I didn't know how to be insincere, right? You learn that as an adult. Can I get an amen? And so you, you know, you just, I just wrote that sincerely, but I didn't know what it meant. I put it there. It wasn't that I was insincere. It just, it was the right thing to do, whether I meant it or not. So I put it right in there at the closing. Then I went to church and I learned how to pray. And they said, now, when you pray, you've got to start with some kind of opening. You've got to start with, you know, dear Heavenly Father or God or something so that God knows you're not talking to somebody else, that you're talking to him, right? And then you go into the body of your prayer. And, and, and you know, you use the Lord's Prayer maybe as a model or you learn different things. Basically, as a kid, what you learn is I need something, so I ask God for it. And then after you've asked him for what you need, you, you get to the end, and then, you, you know, your signature is basically Amen. But before you get to the signature there, before you say amen and wrap up the prayer, you put in a closing. And when I grew up and learned how to pray, they said, now, in, in that part, you put in Jesus' name. Like, at the end of your prayer, you say, in Jesus' name. That's your closing. Anybody else learn that? That's how I was taught how to pray. And I don't know that I really knew what it meant. They just, they just taught me, you say, in Jesus' name. And as I've grown a little older, I've seen that that's really important to say. Because if I say, in Jesus' name at the end, then they know it's not a politically correct prayer. Right? I'm not praying to just some God out there. I'm praying to my God, right? In Jesus' name. And then in the tradition that I grew up in, if you were passionate, if you were praying with great passion, if you were really letting that prayer out there, you get to the end of that prayer, and instead of saying in Jesus' name, you'd go, in the name of Jesus, like that. (laughs) You kind of switch around, same thing, a little more power, right? But did I know what that meant? Like, did I really understand what that was about? Because if I didn't, then I risk saying something and missing the point. Think about it. A statement made without sincerity becomes mediocrity or mockery. And I think that's good for us to note. If you make a statement and you do it without sincerity, then it has the tendency to either become mediocrity, you just use it, you don't know what it means, it's just mediocre, or if you use it in the wrong way, it becomes mockery. And I'm not so sure that I want mediocrity or mockery to be what I do with the name of Jesus. Anybody else? So it might be important for us to talk about when we use this phrase in the name of Jesus, have we lost sight of what it means? We're in the book of Acts and we're kind of working our way through. I I ran into somebody from the church last night when I was out and about and she said to me, she goes, what what are you preaching tomorrow, pastor? Don't tell me. It's from Acts, right? So we're in the book of Acts. We've been working our way through. Last week we we started Acts chapter 3 and we looked at this kind of very familiar story. Just to recap it, Peter and John, kind of two of the, the followers of Jesus, they're kind of the heroes of our story right now. 
They're going to the temple. It's three o'clock in the afternoon. They do it every day. They're going there to pray. And as they're making their way to the kind of the main temple courts, they pass what's called the beautiful gate or the gate beautiful. And as they get there, there's a man who's sitting there. Remember the details about him? He was lame. He'd been that way from birth. And every day people would bring him there so that he could beg, so that people would give him money, so that he could live. And the guy calls out to Peter and John and says, what do you have from me? And they look at him and they say, famous words, silver and gold we do not have. But what we do have, we give to you, listen to this, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And the story is that this dude jumps to his feet for the first time in his life. He starts to walk. It says he goes walking and jumping, and he follows them into the temple courts, a place where he could never go before, and he's praising God all the way. And that's kind of where we left off last week. Well, then, as they go into the temple courts, what happens is all these people begin to follow them. They're, they're fascinated. They're in awe of what they've just seen. They follow them into the temple courts. They start asking, how did this happen? How did this? We've known this guy. How did this take place? We can't believe this. They're amazed at all of this. And Peter begins to preach to them. <clears throat> Peter begins to tell them, this is why this happened. This is how this happened. And as Peter's preaching, there's this ruckus. The cops show up. Acts chapter 4, verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Now, this is a whole different sermon, but I just want you to note something there. This isn't the last time the apostles end up in prison. Like You're going to see this multiple times in the book of Acts. And did you notice, as soon as they went to prison, God got scared and the gospel shut down. Did you notice that? They went to prison... And 5,000 men is what their number grew to. The gospel, and you need to see this. This is important to know. The gospel is designed to thrive under pressure. God didn't read this part of the book of Acts and go, oh, yeah, I was so scared then. That's a sight. That's, that's bonus. You didn't have to pay for that one today, all right? Verse 5. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. And so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. This is important to know. This, these are the spiritual leaders of the community. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power or what name did you do this? Good question. Peter and John, we've seen this dude. We've walked past this gate before. He has been there, unable to walk for his whole life. How'd you do this? Do you notice there's this implication here that it couldn't have been God? They're not even giving that a second thought. What power did you use? What hocus pocus did you use? Whose name did you do this in? Meaning under whose authority? Who gave you this ability? And it's actually a really good question. And it's one that Peter is quick to answer. And what you're going to see is in Acts chapter 3 and chapter 4, multiple times as Jesus is mentioned, as Peter describes what happens here, he repeatedly goes back to this idea that it was in the name of Jesus. And so this is important for us to understand. When Peter says this, what does he mean? Because I'm going to guess that when you pray, you say it, so what do you mean? When we use Jesus' name, why is that so powerful and so important? So the question we're going to answer today is this, what is in a name? 
And in particular, the name we're talking about is the name of Jesus. As we use his name, as we pray, as we make that the closing to our prayers, what do we mean when we use the phrase, in Jesus' name? I want to give you three things based on this passage of scripture here today. Here's the first one. Number one, there is faith in Jesus' name. There is faith in Jesus' name. Before the cops showed up at the beginning of Acts chapter 4, Peter had been out there in the temple courts preaching to the people in Acts chapter 3. And there was this unspoken idea that we see here where they were going, how did this happen? How did this come to be? And look what Peter says. He summarizes it in verse 16 of Acts 3. He says, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can see. Let me, let me read that one more time and watch how those two ideas of Jesus' name and faith are connected. He says, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Do you see how intimately connected the idea of Jesus' name and having faith is? Do you see that there? Which leads us to this. We have faith in who Jesus is. Because when you talk about someone's name, you're talking about their character. You're talking about what they're made up of. You're talking about who they are. So we have faith in who Jesus is. And if we ask the question, who is Jesus? Well, it's it's good for us to kind of clear that up. First of all, Jesus is the Son of God. He is God, and he is God's son who was sent to earth in human form. He wasn't just another man. He's not some guy who kind of found a path to spiritual enlightenment. Jesus is the son of God, which also means that Jesus is the savior. He's the one that's referred to as the Messiah, the Christ, the one who came to rescue us. Jesus is the savior. And it's also good for us to know that not only is Jesus the savior, but Jesus is the healer. As the disciples watched him go about, they saw that he was not only the savior, but that he was the healer, that he went about healing people and doing good and touching people. So the disciples had seen him. So when they said in the name of Jesus, they knew he was the son of God. They knew he was the savior. They knew he was the healer. They knew that Jesus is the baptizer. Acts chapter two, when the Holy Spirit comes, Jesus is the one who baptizes us, the one who sends to us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And they also knew this, They knew that Jesus is the soon coming king. Scripture says that someday Jesus is going to come again. He's going to make a visit again. He's coming back to earth. Do we believe that? Jesus is the soon coming king. That's who Jesus is. And so when you say in the name of Jesus, you're talking about his character. You're talking about his person. And we have faith in who Jesus is. And when we do, watch this, because this this is kind of how... Peter's logic comes back around. Who Jesus is allows us to live in faith. When we believe that he is who he said he was, then we find the faith to live our lives because of who we believe him to be. Does that make sense? You find confidence in who he is because of who he is. The the best way that I could kind of think of to kind of explain this is, has anybody ever been ziplining? You ever been ziplining? You know, we've thought about putting a zipline in in here. Wouldn't that be awesome? You start up there kind of in the projector room, you just kind of come down this way. It would, it would be very cool. I could make a great entrance like that. <laughs> Theme music, maybe a cape. 
Pastor Bill, let's look into that this week. That's a, that's a, if you've never been ziplining, it's kind of a, it's a cool experience, right? Because you go up on like a pool, pole or tree or whatever, and they put this kind of little belt or harness on you, and then you clip into a piece of dental floss. That's basically what you do, right? <laughs> and then at some point, they say, okay, now it's time to, to move. It's time to jump. Do you know what happens if you don't jump? They push you. I'm pretty sure one time it was my wife that pushed me because I wasn't moving fast enough, right? So you got to take a leap of faith. Why do you take that leap of faith? You take the leap of faith because you trust that what you're attached to can support you. You put faith in that. If you don't have faith in it, don't do it. Don't, don't hook up to it. But if you, if you believe that that will support you, that there's something there that has substance, then you put faith in that. And the beauty of putting faith in that is then you get to join the adventure, if you've never been ziplining, it's a rush. Like, it's a lot of fun. I'm glad I did it. But I, before I did it, I made sure it wasn't dental floss, right? Because I want to know that what I put my faith in is something I can trust. But when I trust it, then I can step out in faith. Jesus can be trusted. He's the son of God, the savior, the healer, the baptizer. He's coming again as our king. And as a result, I find faith in him. Now, that changes the way that you live. Because once you put your faith in him, you don't live for yourself anymore. Let me give you this, this thought. A name, if you're living in Jesus' name, a name implies agency. A name implies agency. Here's what I mean. If you're doing something in the name of Jesus, then you're doing it as his agent, as his representative, as his ambassador. His name implies agency. You're not living for yourself anymore. Listen to this, John chapter 14, verse 13. Jesus said, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. That's a bold statement, isn't it? Jesus says, you ask for something in my name and I'll do it. How is it that he can say that? Because if you're doing it in his name, you're doing it as his representative, as his agent, as his ambassador. And we'll get a little bit more in just a moment. That's not just some kind of magic formula or some kind of secret statement where you obligate God. It's a statement that says, because you are his representative, he will respond on your behalf. I remember when I was, when I was just a, a young pastor, it was probably the first year that we were on staff at a church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I remember our, our lead pastor came into my office one day and he said, hey, so-and-so is in the hospital. And this was a, an older gentleman. He'd been a long-term leader in the church. He'd been around for a long time. And he was in the hospital. It wasn't life-threatening. He was just gonna be there for a few days. And he said he called the church and he asked if, if the pastor, the lead pastor, would come and visit. Well, I'm the kid's pastor. I'm the children's pastor. I'm not the lead pastor. But Pastor Arnett comes in and he says, look, I can't go today. He said, this, this is my schedule. I've got this meeting. I've got this. There's no way that I can carve out time to get over there and visit. He said, would you go on my behalf? And I thought to myself, okay, I can do that. And this is what he said. He probably doesn't want to see you. He wants to see me. But I can't go. So will you go for me? Will you tell him that I sent you? Go. He didn't say it this way, but this is what he was saying. Go in my name. And so when I went, I went as his, his agent, his representative. So when I walked in the room, guess what I realized? I don't think he was happy to see me. He wanted to see Pastor Arnett. But when I said to him, hey, Pastor Arnett sent me. He wasn't able to go, but he wanted to make sure that you knew that he's praying. And we went from there. His demeanor changed because now I wasn't just some punk kid walking in the room. You know what I was? I was an ambassador. I was an agent. 
I was going in his name. John 15, 16, you did not choose me, Jesus said, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. So when you take a step of faith, when you trust that what God's asking you to do, he's gonna support you, he's gonna be with you, that you can have faith in who Jesus is. When you take that step out, you're doing that as his agent, as his ambassador. You live your life differently. And this is important because there's times when these things will come to us, when they'll gang up on us, when we'll feel like we're stuck, when we'll feel like we have obstacles, when there's fear, when there's doubt, when there's difficulty, when there's frustrations. You ever been there? And yet you feel like God wants you to move forward in a way? It's in those moments that you remember who he is, and in his name, you find faith. There was a truck driver who pulled off the highway at a truck stop and was sitting up in this little diner area. He was sitting up at the counter, and he was eating. And you've seen scenes like this probably in in movies where these three guys from a motorcycle gang pull up. The big, burly guys come walking in. They look, and they see kind of this scrawny truck driver sitting at the counter. They decide to have a little fun. They go over and start pushing him around. They actually take his food from him and yelling things at him, messing with him. Dude doesn't respond at all. Truck driver stands up, goes over, pays his bill, walks out. As he walks out, one of these big burly guys looks at the waitress and said, he sure wasn't much of a man, was he? The waitress says, no, guess not. She looked out the window. She goes, he's not much of a truck driver either. He just ran over three motorcycles. Look, all these things will come your way. They'll gang up on you, but you drive the truck in Jesus' name. Can I get an amen? Now, look, don't do that. That story, don't do that, okay? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Don't do that. But do you get the point? When these things come against you in life, you don't do it on your own. You find faith when you move forward in life in the name of Jesus. Does that make sense? So if that's true, if you're his agent, if you're his representative, then read this familiar passage in a different way. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus as his agent, as his representative, fueled by faith in him. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Does that change that passage? Absolutely. Because I do what I do through faith in the name of of Jesus Christ. That's how Peter and John walked up to that lame man because they knew that they could find faith in Jesus' name. Here's the second thing they knew. Number two, there is healing in Jesus' name. Number two, there's healing in Jesus' name. So let's go back to chapter four. Cops show up. They throw Peter and John in jail. Next day, they pull them out. They're in front of all the leaders, and they say, by what power? In whose name did you do this? Verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised him from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. You want to know in whose name we did it? We'll tell you in whose name we did it. We did it in the name of Jesus Christ. You know Christ isn't his last name, right? It's a title. It says he's the Messiah. 
He's the Christ. He's the one who saves us, rescues us, sets us free. He's the one. It's in his name that this man is healed. Why does Peter repeatedly, you see it in verse 6 of chapter 3, verse 16 of chapter 3. Now you see it in his answer in chapter 4. Why does he keep coming back to this idea of the name of Jesus? What's so important about this name? Well, a name implies agency. We've already said that, but know this. A name implies power. That when you, when you act in someone's name, you go with their power. If, if I showed up at somebody's home that's been devastated by the, the flooding in Texas and knocked on the door, said, hey, I'm here to help. Odds are, if, if they're wise, they're gonna go, who are you? Like, why are you here? Do you have any skills? Do you have any resource? And if I don't, then they should probably be suspicious. But if I show up and knock on the door and they say, who are you? And I say, well, I'm here in the name of the president of the United States. No matter what they think of the president, they're gonna say this. That person comes with a lot of power. That person comes with a lot of resource. That person comes with a lot of responsibility. And when you come in someone's name, you come in their power. You see this idea repeatedly in the Old Testament. Psalm 54, verse 1, the psalmist writes, Save me, O God, by your name. Vindicate me by your might. Do you see that, how he connected those two things? Save me by your name. Save me by your might. He connects those two ideas. Jeremiah chapter 16, verse 21 Therefore, I will teach them. This time I will teach them my power and might. Then they will know that my name is the Lord. He keeps connecting these two ideas between God's power and his might and his name because in his name you find his power. Now reread verse six of Acts chapter three where Peter says, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, in the power, in the strength, in the ability, in the healing ability of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I say to you, walk. See, that changes it. They weren't having a delusion of grandeur. They, they didn't have wishful thinking. They weren't just trying to give this lame guy a pep talk. They knew that they had been with Jesus. They knew that he could heal people. They had seen him touch people and the lame walked and the blind saw and the deaf heard and the dead literally came back to life again. And they knew that Jesus had that power. So they were coming to him. They were speaking to him in the same power in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. In his power, walk. Does that make sense? So when you pray in his name, you're not praying in your own strength or ability. You're taking your need and you're attaching his power to it. And this amazed people, right? Acts chapter three, they see this, and they're like, wow, they chase him into the temple courts. What's going on here? And they're asking questions. And Peter says this, verse 11. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. And when Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? Peter was trying to make something really clear here. He's saying, look, we didn't do this. Like, we don't have power. We, we don't have, like, this, this extra ability. We don't have these kind of magic spells. We, we didn't say something just the right way. This wasn't hocus-pocus, Harry Potter stuff going on here. We didn't do this. This happened in the name of Jesus. 
What would have been fairly common in that day, especially in the Greco-Roman world, is you would have had certain people who would have been considered people of power. We'll encounter one when we get to Acts chapter 8, magicians, sorcerers, that people feared them because they, they thought they had special powers. So these people are looking at Peter and John and saying, are, are you some kind of sorcerer? Are you some kind of magician? And Peter wants them to know this. A name comes with power, but not magic. When we use the name of Jesus, we were acting in the power of Jesus Christ, but this isn't magic. Just because you say in the name of Jesus, just because you, you, you recount this thing, just because you repeat this, this chant or these words, that's not where the power is found. This is not magic. And that was important for them to hear because sometimes people begin to think that if I just do something the right way, if I just say something a certain way, then there has to be power that comes with it. Does that make sense? There was a story about that in Acts 19. We'll, we'll get to that in about six years when we get to Acts 19. But... <laughs> Let me read it for you real quick because you won't remember it then. It says, some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. That always makes me laugh. All right, that's, that's, that's a pretty interesting passage of scripture because they thought, look, I can just say the right thing and I got power. If I just use the right words, if I just respond in the right way, I'll have power. They didn't expect the demon to talk back. So, so the power that's found in Jesus' name it's not yours to manipulate. Now that passage is no laughing matter because you might not walk around thinking you're saying magic words, but there's a lot of times where we wonder if we can manipulate God. That if I do things in just the right way, that if I say just the right things, if my words and my actions match up a certain way, then God owes me. It obligates him to respond. Some of you, I'm, I'm sure you've heard this before, but I think this is really important to, to highlight. There, there is times when these ideas get abused. There's what's referred to oftentimes or kind of known as like a prosperity gospel where people begin to teach that if you just will, will do certain things or live in a certain way, then God kind of owes you something. The, the ways that I hear it come back to me are things like, well, if I just believe with enough faith or if I just do the right things or if I just say the right words or if I just give the right seed gift, then if I do that, then God will do what I want. Almost like it's an incantation or, or, or a special formula that you say that if you just believe hard enough or if you just speak right enough, then God has to give you what you want. Anybody ever heard that before? I mean, there's, there's teaching that goes around like this. Look, look, God doesn't respond to magic and he's not real crazy about being manipulated. And this is important for us to know because I've seen people hurt by this. Right? I've seen people become hurt and frustrated because they've been told or they think that their faith is deficient. Things would have been different if I had enough faith. Look, understand this. Your faith is in Jesus. It's not in faith. You don't put your faith in your faith. You put your faith in Jesus Christ, and then you trust him, and you put your hope in him. And I've seen people hurt because they, they think or they've been told, hey, you don't have enough faith. And really, your faith isn't in faith. Your faith is in Jesus which, which leads to also, I've seen people become obsessed and harmed because they have this quest for faith. 
and they, and they keep moving forward and they lose sight of this and they just think, if I can just have faith, if I can just have faith, understand your search is for Jesus. Your search isn't for faith. You put your trust and your confidence in him. His name is greater than any magic spell. We put our trust in him because his name implies power, but watch this. His name also implies agreement. That when I pray a prayer and then I say, in Jesus' name, that means I submit to God what your will is. I agree with you. As your agent in your power, I agree with what you think is best. I think sometimes if I can, if I can throw an in Jesus' name in there, gives me a little holy leverage, kind of pushes the prayer a little bit further for good measure. Maybe I'll get a little bit more of what I want. When honestly, when I, when I say in the name of Jesus, I'm saying, Jesus, I'm praying for what I think I want and need, but at the end of the day, what I, what I really want is what you think is best. I agree with your will. If you're the ambassador of someone, you don't go and do what you want. You go and do what they've asked you to do. You go in their name. If you order something, and somebody ships it, and they give it to a shipping company, and they bring it to your house. It's none of their business what's in it. It's none of their business what you're going to do with it. They just are, are, are to give you the package. They're just an ambassador. Does that make sense? So if you pray in Jesus' name, you pray with faith, and you pray with his power, but you also understand that you're praying in agreement with his will. Let me give you maybe just a really kind of bit of a carnal side to my life so that you can kind of understand this. Now, the story I'm about to tell you took place about 20 years ago, so I'm much more holy now, okay? <laughs> Wasn't a lead pastor at the time, but go back to the story I told you a couple minutes ago. Do you, do you remember when I told you that Pastor Arnett asked me to go to the hospital to visit this guy? Well, Pastor Arnett said he's probably not gonna be happy to see you. Well, I knew he wasn't gonna be happy to see me because he didn't like me, and I knew he didn't like me. Not because he told me he didn't, but because he was this this guy who had been around the church for a long time, and I was just a measly children's pastor. And he never had time to talk and never gave me much attention. Just I could tell. Just, you know how you can tell what people think of you? Maybe I'm just paranoid because I can tell what some of you are thinking right now. <laughs> but I could tell. You know, it's just one of these things. You're like, hey, look, you take care of my grandkids because you're not pastor enough to take care of me. It was just kind of this feeling that I felt. So what if I had walked into the hospital room in the name of Pastor David Arnett and said to myself, you know, brother, while you're there attached to that IV and can't go anywhere, why don't I tell you what I think of you? What if that moment I had told him how much value I had to that church? What if in that moment I had told him what I really thought of him? Because back when I was less holy, I had some thoughts about him. What if that young, intelligent, gifted, anointed, handsome children's pastor had just told him in that moment what he thought and told him off. I'd have had the opportunity, but that's not what I was sent to do, was it? That wouldn't be an agreement with what the person in whose name I was visiting had asked me to do. So I couldn't do that in that moment. That wasn't what I was there to do. That was wrong. I was in agreement with what I had been asked to do, so I had to do his will. Does that make sense? See, we're called to do God's will and to trust him. And so in those moments, we pray and we say, in Jesus' name, knowing, God, I, I trust this. I pray in agreement with your word. Here's a really good example. Let's say you're having a picnic and you pray 
and you say, dear God, we're having this picnic tomorrow, I pray that you would not send any rain. God, if you love me, you won't let it rain. What you don't know is that across town, there's a farmer who's looking at his crops and saying, we're, we're, at a, we're at a tipping point here. If we don't get rain in the next couple days, I'm not so sure these crops are going to make it. Dear Lord, I pray that tomorrow you'd send the rain. If you love me, you'll send the rain. And God's up in heaven going, ah, who do I love more? It's not what he does. He knows the big picture of what's best. And so the farmer gets his rain and you have a pity party. And you say, God, you, you don't love me. God, you, you, didn't, you didn't like my picnic? God, you hate potato salad? Like you ask all those questions, right? And you have to realize that sometimes God sees the bigger picture. That the way that I pray might not be exactly in line with his will, but that his will is better. Because if that farmer doesn't get rain, there'll be no more potatoes for your potato salad. Can I get an amen? You see, that's, that's the way that it works. So at some point, we have, to, we have to run our prayers through that filter of what it means to pray in Jesus' name. There's this really interesting principle. I'll just, I'll just leave this real quick. A guy named Brian Chappelle wrote a book called Praying Backwards. And his thought was, what if you started with your, where you usually end your prayers? What if you started your prayers within Jesus' name? Would that give you a different perspective? What if you prayed in Jesus' name? Would you give me a brand new car? In Jesus' name, would you lower my taxes? Those aren't necessarily bad prayers, but they might not necessarily be the first thing that God wants to do to bring glory to himself. Does that make sense? It might be healthy for us to pray backwards, which then takes us all the way back to where we started because if there's healing in Jesus' name, how do we know it? Well, we know it because of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, that he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been, what's it say? You have been healed. That he brings healing to us because of what Jesus did on the cross. So that's why when James is writing instructions for the church, he says this, James chapter 5, verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. We pray for healing. If you're in need of physical healing, every Sunday after every service, we have folks that are in our connection center. And they're there and they're ready to pray. And whether you, you feel like you need a physical touch in your body, you're going to have surgery, you have to go to the doctor, whatever it might be, you can go to the Connection Center and someone will anoint you with oil. They'll pray a prayer of faith with you in the name of the Lord and believe for God to bring healing. And we believe that God still heals. We talked about this, I don't know, a couple months ago. And Andrea was in the service, and she had, she had had surgery. She had, a, she had a, a pretty major tear in her rotator cuff, and they said, hey, your, your arm has to be immobilized for, for about six weeks. You're going to have to be on all this pain medication. And while she was sitting there, she felt like the Lord it just kind of put in her heart, you're healed, that I've done a healing work in your body. And the next time I see her, she's out in the lobby out here doing this. Look what I can do with my arm. <laughs> like, you're not supposed to do that. She's like, I know. I'm healed. I don't need the pain medication. God's, God's touched me. Do you believe that God still heals? And we, we know that this is true because he heals in the name of Jesus. Third thing that we see in this passage, very briefly, number three, there is salvation in Jesus' name. There's salvation 
in Jesus' name. So Peter says, you want to know what name? It's the name of Jesus that has healed this man. And then he goes on to say this, verse 11. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Understand this. Every person is a sinner in need of a savior. No matter who you are, one day, every one of us is gonna stand before God, a God that we've rejected and rebelled against, a God whose, whose commands we've broken, and we're gonna stand before him, and we're gonna need a savior, and religion will not save you. No matter how much you go to church, no matter how, how much you think your spiritual religion will not save you. Think about this. When Peter preached this sermon, when he said this, who was he talking to? He was talking to the religious leaders of the day. And he was saying to them, look, there's no other name by which you'll be saved. Religion will not save you. Good deeds will not save you. Just because you're a good person, just because you think you do good stuff, that doesn't mean that that's gonna save you. Romans chapter six, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Salvation is only available to us because of who Jesus is and what he's done. This is why this is so important. Salvation, Peter says, is in the name of Jesus. And in Acts chapter two, verse 21, he says, and whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Salvation's only found in him. And Peter stresses this, right? He says, and this is a pretty bold statement, there is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. Peter echoes this because he heard Jesus say it. John chapter 14, verse six. Jesus answered, I'm the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. In interesting statement that he makes there. He says, look, there is only one way. And that's, that's pretty important for us to, to know because it sounds a little closed-minded, but, but you know this. There is only one way. And we live in a world that says there's multiple ways. You've you got alternative routes to heaven. You've got different ways to get to God. But that's not what Scripture teaches us. What Scripture teaches us is that there's only one way. If you, if you use an app on your phone for GPS, whether you use Waze or, or Google Maps or use Apple Maps or MapQuest, whatever you might use, you, you put in a location, and it'll show you the best way, and then you can look, and it'll give you alternate routes. You know what I mean? Like you go, well, I, don't, I really don't want to take the highway. I'd kind of rather go a different way. All right, I can, I can go this way, and that'll get me the same place. What's two minutes longer? That's no big deal. I'll go that way. You have alternate routes. The problem is salvation doesn't work like that. If you put heaven into ways, there aren't multiple ways to get there. There's just one way to get to heaven, and Jesus is the way we get there. Jesus is the only way if heaven is the destination. And then that's really significant to know because we know that heaven is a place, but the reason that heaven is heaven is because Jesus is there. The book of Revelation says he's the light. He's the main attraction. Without him, it really wouldn't be heaven. And so if you don't get to that place through him, then you haven't really found that place. Look, Jesus is the only way. He is the destination. There is only one way. And Jesus says there's only one truth. We live in a world that, that says there's all kinds of truths. Truth for you, truth for me. There's certain things that, that we say are black and white. 
you know, there's a certain way to, to treat a, a medical diagnosis or a certain way to respond in a situation. There's right and wrong. But when we get to spiritual matters, then we start to question truth. And we say, well, what's truth for you and what's truth for you might be different than what's truth for me. And the reality is that no matter what, what seems right or what's popular, that doesn't determine what truth really is. I read an interesting article this week about a guy in California who went to the eye doctor because he said, I haven't been able to see right since the solar eclipse. And he said, I, I, when I look, I have this, this part of my vision that's like blacked out, and it's shaped like the, the crescent of the eclipse. And they're like, well, did you look? He says, yeah, but I had the glasses. And they start looking at him, trying to check it out, seeing what's wrong. And they're like, when you looked at the, the eclipse, the, you, you had the glasses on? He says, yeah, I had the glasses on. And they looked at his glasses, and what they found out is this dude had gone, and he'd look with the glasses, but he had fake glasses. He hadn't been sold eclipse glasses that weren't the real verified ones. They weren't real ones. They were fake ones. So he had been trusting in something that he thought was real, but it wasn't. And so he said to the doctor, well, doctor, I thought this was true. And the doctor said, okay, no problem. I'll just fix your eyes then. No, the doctor couldn't say that because the damage was already done. Just because he thought it was true didn't mean it was true. Does that make sense? So someday we're going to have to stand before God. And God's going to say, well, what did you do with my truth? And you say, well, I went this route with truth. And it, and it was true. It's what people told me. It was pretty popular. So it had to be true. And God's not going to go, okay, then never mind. He's going to say, look, there, there was only one truth. Know this. Just because something is popular, that does not mean it's true. Jesus says, I am the way. And I'm the truth. And I'm the life. Real life. Real life in, in this life and real eternal life is only found in him. Look, I've, I've, uh, I've actually never been to Houston, Texas. But recently I was, I was working on a trip to go to Houston. Do you know when I was supposed to be there? This past week. In fact, me and Pastor Bill, a few others of our staff were supposed to go and attend an event that was taking place in Houston. And, and last Saturday night, we got this email from the organizers of the event. The, the hurricane, you know, it hit like Friday night, Saturday. And the email basically said, it said, we've seen some damage, but the hurricane wasn't as bad as we thought. We think there may be some more rain, but we, so, we see no reason to postpone the event. Sunday morning, we got a very different email. Last Sunday, the email said, we didn't imagine that this would happen. The event's canceled. And then you've seen what's happened this week. So kind of with a unique eye, we've, we've been watching this. I came across this story in the Washington Post this week. And when I read it, 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 it really moved me. It says the water was rising. The rescue truck was coming. And now Dale Crumbaugh had five minutes to decide what to bring. He's 75 years old. Medicine, he thought. He began stuffing it all in a blue satchel his inhaler with three shots left. Pills for blood pressure, pills for diabetes, the sleep apnea machine. He looked out the window and saw a man in a swimsuit waiting toward him. He grabbed his vial of nitroglycerin pills in case he had a heart attack, his pocket knife in case he had to cut himself loose from something, his cell phone. The swimsuit man was at the door yelling for him to come out. He'd been reading three novels a week since his wife died. He put a paperback in the satchel. He hooked the satchel to his walker, and he waded into the water. In house after house, day after day, 
in the evacuations across swaths of southeast Texas, the question came, and usually it came suddenly, what to bring? What do you bring when water is flooding in? When a boat is waiting? When you don't know whether you're about to have to swim for your life, much less ever come home again? It's a powerful picture, isn't it? And I don't want to be insensitive to the tragedy that has happened in Texas, but when I read that, it, it caused me to think about those times in your life when you have to make a decision, when pressure comes flooding in, when you come face to face with a challenge, you're not sure what to do, when you have to decide in a split second, where do I find my hope? Where do I find my peace? The truth is someday when you won't go home again, but you'll stand before God, what are you going to say? What are you going to take with you? And the only thing that's going to matter in that moment is the name of Jesus. So I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. And I got just a few quick questions today. First, we talked about the, the name of Jesus being the source of our faith. And if you'd say, Chad, this week I've got to take a step of faith. I need to trust in who Jesus is. I need to step out in faith in the name of Jesus. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? You raise your hand, put it right back down. You just said, look, I'm, I'm in a spot where God's calling me to take a step of faith. I need to do that in Jesus' name this week. Yeah, thanks. Anybody else? Raise your hand, put it right back down. That's fine. Here, here's the second thing that, and we're going to pray in just a moment. If maybe today you're here and you'd say, God, what I need in Jesus' name is healing. Maybe it's emotional, maybe it's spiritual, but in particular, if it's physical healing, and you would say today, in Jesus' name, I need a healing touch from God. If that's you, would you stand right where you are? And we're gonna pray this in agreement with God's word, but you would say, God, I, I, need, I need a physical touch in my body from you. Just taking a step of faith. We'll pray here in just a moment, but you'd say, God, I need a physical touch. I need a healing touch from you. Awesome. Whether you're in this room, auditorium too, wherever you are, you need that healing touch. Go ahead and stand where you are. And then here's, here's what I'd ask. If everybody would stand with me, if you please, just all, all throughout the room. And if you're next to somebody who's already standing for healing, just put a hand on their shoulder. You don't have to know the story. Just, just let them know that you're agreeing with them in prayer. And if you're here today, and, and I'm asking you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment before we pray. If you're here today and you would say, Jesus, I need you to be my Savior and my Lord in Jesus' name. I know that I'm a sinner and I can't do this on my own anymore. And today I need my sins forgiven. I need to find life in you. Today I need to make you my Lord and Savior. If that's you, just raise your hand. I want to pray with you in just a moment. Anybody? Yeah, thanks. Thanks, thanks. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. We're, we're going to pray in Jesus' name and I want to lead you in this prayer. And so I'm going, to, I'm going to pray and then I'm going to ask you to repeat this after me. We're going to pray this prayer together. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you today in the name of Jesus and we ask today that you would help us to take steps of faith as we trust in you we look to you as the son of God our savior our healer our baptizer and our coming king I ask in agreement with your word that you would bring healing to my body, I look to you as my Savior and my Lord 
In Jesus' name, amen. And Father, we come to you today. We thank you for your word that speaks to us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to step out in faith, trusting you as our healer and our savior in the name of Jesus. As we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us. Lord, would you send us out with your special favor and with your wonderful peace. In Jesus' name, amen.